0: Hello, I'm Sam and welcome to the Learn and Experience Show, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills and language. Today I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the people bringing the world's youth together since 2009. We've got language guru Mike. Hello. And our very own Miss Positive Julie. Hi there. This episode we'll be visiting Australia, South Africa, Antarctica, Japan, Saudi Arabia and the USA and around the world in six stories.
1: In the big discussion this week we're going to talk about what makes a good book.
2: We'll be looking at Mexico in fact or fiction. And in the youth spotlight this week we look at a 21 year old rower who has rowed across the Atlantic.
1: And in life skills this week I had my first ever ukulele lesson with musician Sarah.
2: And the language corner this week it being the day of World Book Day I'm going to reveal some rather interesting word book facts. So we
0: are recording this on World Book Day and we have some nice features on on books. What's your favorite book you two? Before we get onto around the world in six stories. Your favourite book as a child, Mike?
2: My favourite book as a child was probably Catcher in the Rye by JD Salinger, which is a story about a young teenager uh, finding his way uh, from uh, sort of 12, 13 years old through the difficult period of being a teenager, which, uh, when I read, I could really relate to. And uh, it actually remains one of my favorite books to this day. I've reread it twice as an adult and and enjoyed it just as much.
1: So I read this book, I, I think I've read it, I don't know, certainly more than 10 times. It's just a big feature in my, in my memory of as, as a child. It was The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole. Um, I can't remember which one, though, well, because there's, there's a couple. There's one where he's a bit younger, and I think there's one where he's 13 and three quarters or something. But I read that so many times. Mm. So kind of similar idea, kind of a teenager kind of going through life. And yeah. What about you, Sam? Well,
0: I, I found this really tricky because I've got so many. I think as children books like Harry Potter is like really up there. I can't. They haven't grown old on me. However, I didn't actually read them as a child because I was already an adult by the time they came out.
1: Because you're not that old. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so so as a child, definitely Roald Dahl. But then which Roald Dahl? So Roald Dahl was, I read all of them and probably 10 times each. Uh, I would go probably Danny the Champion of the World. Um it was a bit more real. Some of the BFGs and the and the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is amazing, and they're kind of a complete fantasy world. Whereas Danny the Champion of the World was a very realistic book and very just really painted a picture of another time and uh, kind of the growing up of this little boy with his father and a really big adventure that they they went on. So yeah, Danny the Champion of the World for me. But it was a hard choice. Okay, Maddie. So, what's your favorite book?
3: My favorite book is definitely the Harry Potter series.
0: And what makes the Harry Potter series so good?
3: Well, I feel like the author like really explains the book, and it's like gets you all excited for the next chapter, and it's really like nice and like like it's adventure and fantasy, and those are like my two favorite um, genres.
0: What, what's it about? What's the kind of main...
3: Well, it's like a boy who gets attacked by like this dark wizard and then it bounces back off and he get he finds out he's a wizard. And then he's all famous at this Hogwarts school and then he meets two nice friends and this giant and then he has all adventures at school.
0: Oh, so what's Hogwarts?
3: Uh, It's a wizard and witchcraft school.
0: Oh, wow. And could you imagine you going to a wizard and witchcraft school? Well. Would you like to go?
3: Yeah, it would be fun.
0: It <laughs> would be fun. Uh, and which out, out of the Harry Potter series is your favourite book?
3: Um, well, I'm reading the fifth one now, and that's probably my favourite so far.
0: Yeah. Who's your favourite character?
3: Um, Hagrid and Hermione.
0: And why, really. why are those two your favourite characters? Well,
3: uh, Hagrid's really funny and kind, and Hermione's like, always the bossy one no at all and and i find that funny so <laughs> yeah
0: okay dotty so what's your favorite book
3: my favorite book is
4: probably the wings of fire book
0: okay so the wings of fire that sounds exciting what's that about
4: it's about like all different types of dragon dragons all trying to find like their parents if they got away like washed out from their eggs like or someone stole their eggs, or they're going to a new school or something. So is
0: it a series of books?
4: Yeah, it's a series. I don't know how many books. I think it's like 15 or 14 books.
0: Wow, and how many have you read?
4: I've only read like, uh, I've read like the, I've read all the five graphics. I've read the four graphic novels, but right now I think I'm on the second book.
0: And so if you had to recommend three different books for other 8-year-olds, boys and girls, what books would you recommend?
4: Uh Babysitters Club. Wings yeah. of Fire for definite and Roald Dahl.
0: Roald Dahl. So <laughs> which is your favorite Roald Dahl books?
4: Um I like Charlie and the um Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and I also like um well I'm reading it right now The Fantastic Mr Fox.
0: Oh, nice. And any others that you've read?
4: Um, I like Georgian Marvelous, Marvelous Medicine.
0: Why do you think you like Roald Dahl's books particularly?
4: Well, they're funny and they describe like the words and stuff.
0: He uses some funny words, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Really silly stories, aren't they, sometimes? Yeah. Okay, this is the Learn and Experience show. Where are we going to go this week, Julie?
1: So first off, we are off to Australia, more specifically Brisbane, where the International Olympic Committee, sometimes called the IOC, has named Brisbane, Australia as the preferred bidder to host the 2032 Olympic Games. That sounds so far off in the future, but it's actually not that far. Um, so being named preferred candidate gives Brisbane exclusive access to try and convince the IOC without competition from other cities and countries, including competitors in China, the Middle East and Europe. The state of Queensland hosted the 2018 Commonwealth Games and Brisbane was praised for its high percentage of existing venues, a good master plan, experience in organizing major events. And of course, it's favorable weather. And just to give you a little bit of, um, uh, information about the future olympics so the delayed 2020 olympics will be held in tokyo japan in the summer with paris um in france staging the games in 2024 and los angeles in in the united states hosting the 2028 olympics so yeah looking forward to it's weird not having i think we all look forward to olympics so much and then of course it's only every four years but it's weird that it, it didn't happen so really looking forward to to, to seeing all of the Olympians um, compete they still in the They have made the a decision, have they,
0: whether it's going to run this year or not. I mean, I think they're planning that it will, but it's mm. it's not going to be completely, you know, normal.
2: Fingers crossed. What's your favourite Olympic sport to watch?
1: I really like um, diving. I like the sports you don't get to see that often. I, I really love to watch the the, the diving because it looks terrifying. And we're good at it as a country, which doesn't happen often. I like lo- I like the hundred meters. I, I
0: love say, that. Don't beat the hundred meters, can you? It's quite exciting. Love
2: expensive. that sprint.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. Thanks for that story, Julie. Mike. We are off to South Africa next, where a group of women protecting wildlife in the Baluli Nature Reserve in South Africa are using technology. To fight against poaching. Now, poaching eh, are people who uh, hunt uh, and kill endangered wildlife for uh, their either their tusks, if in case of elephants, or the skin, sometimes of other other creatures. And the tech company Samsung have given a whole load of phones to enable these. Uh, women who who work in this park to stream uh, the video at night and take pictures of the animals and any poachers that they see on their nighttime patrols. So it's a really good example of technology being used uh, to preserve and protect things in the natural world. So well done, Samsung. Okay, so I'm going to Antarctica now, where a huge
0: iceberg has broken off from an area in Antarctica known as Brunt Ice Shelf. Scientists have been expecting the iceberg to break loose for a while. It's not yet clear whether the iceberg will remain in the area or indeed float away. So the iceberg is known as A74 and is extremely large. That's bigger than New York City and almost as big as London. Though Antarctica has been losing a lot of ice in recent years because of climate change, This split in the ice is normal and it isn't connected to the climate crisis. Antarctica, the world's fifth largest continent, is covered with a layer of ice and snow roughly 1.2 miles. As snow falls, it piles up into the centre of Antarctica in a huge layer of, of ice. Over time, the weight of this ice and snow creates slowly moving rivers of ice called glaciers which push out towards the sea so yeah a new iceberg split off antarctica
1: could they not think of a slightly more jazzy name did they not call it a74 A74.
0: (laughs) we we could call it we could call it the the uh what do you think the
1: icy mc (laughs) iceberg
2: We need, uh, we need them named after, like, like like the storms get named after people, don't they? We need Albert the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, Isabel the iceberg.
1: Izzy. Izzy. Izzy, the Izzy the iceberg. So we're heading to Japan now. So when you think of cute and cuddly, the word robot isn't the first word that would spring to mind. However, in Japan, cute and clever robots have become more and more popular. These robots are designed to give comfort to people of all ages. Some are even warm to touch, so it feels even more real. According to technology firms, sales of these cuddly guys have gone up as more people, both young and old, turn to them to tackle their loneliness. So Japan's care homes are also embracing the concept of robotic animals to provide companionship. There's um, This includes paro, which is a robot seal, which is pretty cute and fluffy as, as robots go, So it's modeled on actually a Canadian harp seal. Um, Sam might be able to, um, might have a bit of an understanding of what a Canadian harp seal looks like. So this therapy robot, Paro, has a rhythm of the morning, daytime and night, and is active during the daytime, but gets sleepy at night. Um, Paro also recognizes the direction of voice and words such as its name, greetings, praise, and with its audio sensor. When
2: you think of Saudi Arabia, you might think of its deserts it's uh, strict observant observance of the Islamic faith and for being the country where much of the world's oil comes from until now because in Saudi Arabia they are building a futuristic city that is designed around nature and won't have any cars or roads in place the city called the line because it's in a straight line and it goes on for hundred over hundred miles is a project that hopes to revolutionize the way that we live in cities and it will be made up it's going to cost a lot of money but it's hoped that it will be uh, a, an environmental city which other cities if it's successful other cities are going to follow this uh, this template a model. So it's made up of three different communities. The first one is is a pedestrian layer where uh, residents can freely walk around in the green spaces. The second layer will include all of the essential daily things like schools and shops and, and leisure facilities. And the third layer will be how they get around the place. And that will be in, in, uh, over, overground trains that are run by solar power. And the whole city will be run by solar power, wind, and possibly hydrogen, but no oil in place. So quite an unlikely place for an environmental project to work is Saudi Arabia.
1: And when you say layers, do you mean physical, like, like layers of a cake, like
2: yeah, that's, that's, that's what I understood it to be. Like, such
1: a good idea. Hmm. Like having just separating, you know, the thing that we have lots of is space upward, you know. So that makes so much, well, it's kind of what, I guess, Elon Musk is doing in, in LA, building the underground kind of place where all the cars can go so all of the, the fumes and stuff can go but somewhere But you said else. It's 100 miles long?
2: I think somewhere in the region of over 100 miles long. Mm-hmm and it's as you say julie it's reimagining how we use space and what we can do with that space
0: so i've got an interesting story uh for the usa in this modern well not this modern time in this current time with the pandemic still going on there are lots of different people thinking in creative ways to uh be able to carry on doing what they do and this is a story about a band called the Flaming Lips. Don't know if you've heard of them. Yes. Uh, who uh, have come up with a really cool way of being able to get an audience to see some of their c- concerts. So I think the Flaming Lips are quite well known for performing in a natural bubble. And they've done that for years before this happened. But what they've done is now um, provided their audience and their crowd and their fans with their own bubbles. So they have got an arena uh, where they have provided a hundred plastic bubbles, large enough to hold one to three people. And as people arrive at the concert, they then seal the bubbles. And each bubble comes with a towel, a water bottle and a small fan (laughs) um, and a speaker so they can make sure that they can hear what's going on. They also have a little sign in the bubble that if they get too hot, they have to show <laughs> the sign. Uh, uh, and yes, and if they need to go to the loo, they have to hold the sign up as well. Uh, so Wayne Coyne, the lead singer of Flaming Lips, said the concert was safer than going to the grocery store. However, health experts aren't so sure using plastic bubbles for coronavirus protection hasn't been studied yet, but it happened and it was a great success. And they were able to, to play to an audience and it, it looked pretty cool, to be honest.
1: I love that idea, but that would be the sweatiest gig you've ever been to, it'd be so hot in there. You'd be like, um, I'm just gonna get my own bubble, I think. Just gonna go by myself. Yeah, I,
2: I'm a I'm a big fan of the Flaming Lips, but I'm not sure I would trust a, a rock and roll star to say it's all right, guys. It's health and safety. <laughs> yeah, this and cover. Like, trust me, I'm a I'm a I'm a singer. <laughs> great story, Sam. I like that. Mm, interesting. Fact or fiction?
0: That's Come on. Show. So we're going to do a little bit of learning,
1: a
2: little bit of experiencing,
1: a little bit of experiencing, <laughs> the
0: name of the show. Hang on. Oh. Uh, we are visiting Mexico this week. <laughs> Who has been to Mexico? Neither of you.
1: Oh, excellent.
0: After Spain. Mexico has the world's largest Spanish-speaking population.
1: As in country.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Mexico is a country. <laughs> what episode is this?
2: Fact or fiction? Is <laughs> Mexico a country? <laughs> Just
1: wrapping my head around this. So yes, fact. Mexico is a country. Yes. Um. Yeah. i'm going to say fact that seems factual after spain mexico is the biggest spanish-speaking country yeah uh, i'm going to say fact i'm trying to read mike <laughs>
2: i'm swimming over to where your your raft is i'm joining you on that one swim swim the water, swim I the water's think. warm yeah the water's warm i'm joining you
1: excellent come on over
0: i feel this is a win for me i fooled you oh, oh. It is, in fact, the largest Spanish-speaking population. So, in fact, it is the biggest Spanish-speaking population. It's more more, more Spanish-speakers than Spain itself. So, 126 million people live in Mexico, all speaking Spanish.
1: You've been working on your lying, Sam, your lying uh, face. You've yeah, obviously yeah. spent the whole week working on it's that. Great face
0: there. You're <laughs> always uh, going to get you with this fact as well. I liked it. I so I, is that one yeah.
1: nil to Sam. It's no longer yeah, me playing against each other. It's us versus Sam. Yeah,
0: <laughs> change the rules of the game. Uh, it's like would I lie to you? That maybe it could be a better uh, mm. the, uh, one. That no, because
1: would... you're rubbish at it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. The colours of the flag are
2: green, white, and red. Confidently. Uh, confident, I'm feeling confident about this because I've watched enough World Cups and Mexico are always in the World, no, not always in the World Cup, but they're quite often in the World Cup football and they are, it's red, white and green with an eagle, I think, but that's bonus points, it's definitely red, white and green.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree and again, I think it's from football and yeah, there's something in the middle, I'm not going to say eagle, I'm going to say seal because that's relevant for this podcast, (laughs) this this show, sorry. So I'm going to say fact with seal as the um, bit in the middle.
0: Mexico so famous for their seals. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're both right, but uh, uh, Mike is is more right. Uh, they, it looks like an eagle, but I'm just wondering if it's a phoenix. Or is
1: it actually a seal? It's definitely
3: not <laughs> uh, Let me have a look. Uh,
0: the Mexican coat of arms, it's an eagle.
1: Shame we don't do bonus points, hey?
0: Mexico is located on the North American continent and shares borders with the USA, Belize, and El Salvador.
1: Definitely shares a border. Do all of those things have to be correct? Because there was like four things there.
0: Three, three so- USA,
1: Belize, and El Salvador. Okay, it does, it is adjoined to America, North America, the United States. I'm not sure about the other two. One of them, what What would, Belize and where? El Salvador. El Salvador, maybe. I'm stab in the dark, I'm gonna say fact.
2: I, I, I'm gonna go fiction. I think there's it's, my, maybe Guatemala instead of one of them.
0: <laughs> Not the USA.
2: I think def- it the last time I checked, Mexico was bordering the U.S. of A. <laughs> well done, Mike. Very oh.
0: impressive.
1: Was it Guatemala?
0: It was, in fact, Guatemala. What? For for, for an for an extra bonus point.
1: So, so let me just know that USA.
0: I said Belize and El Salvador. Which one are you going to take out of there?
1: And I'll let you have a bonus point for this because that is quite good. I'm going to take out El Salvador.
2: No way!
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing! Uh,
2: okay, Mexico has four time zones. We had a good question about time zones last week, didn't we? With China and Russia. And if the US of A has four time zones, logic would say that mexico would also have that number of time zones and i'm gonna go logical tonight
1: i'm gonna go with fact does america have four time zones
2: don't mess with my logic julie (laughs) that's
1: why i'm here (laughs) (laughs) and i only know this from the sport that i watch has no i don't think america no, but then that's like a double, double whammy if Sam's doing can that. I, then. Can I,
0: can I, just say because I'm this is not really the fact. It is America does have four time zones.
1: Oh, okay. So well done, um, Mike.
0: We, we said it last week.
1: Okay. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so America, being that America does have four time zones, I'm actually going to say it's fiction because Mexico doesn't. It's not. Yeah, right. Yeah. All the way along, so fict- yeah. <laughs> fiction.
0: I would have agreed with your logic, Julie, because it's nowhere near as uh, as big. You can see. We're
1: on the move. We're on the move. Yeah, this
0: is the USA, the, the big green one. one.
1: Uh huh. Yes.
0: And the, and the Mexico one is much smaller, but I suppose it's this little naughty little point here. Because it does have four time zones.
1: Ugh! And Mike's little face. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm thrilled. You the are. Asked about a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: okay, I'm uh, gonna try and give you one here, Julie. <laughs> okay, Mexico has the most reptile species in the world.
1: It's actually Mike to go first this time. Is it?
0: No, it's you.
1: Julie. Oh, I'm going to say that is fiction because it was somewhere else last week. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember where it was. Oh, uh, oh, oh, uh, ah. Uh, well, I can't remember, but it's not because it was a place that the nano guy was 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 from. That was uh, Madagascar. Madagascar, was really thank you. So
2: Madagascar, yeah
1: fiction I'm going to say unless you're pulling a sly one old Sam
2: I think Sam might be pulling a f- sly one uh, better but not I be. Think it might be fact. think of all those cactus plants that the reptiles <sighs> must like to go around in I don't know I'm gonna go fact just to say the opposite of you
1: I think it wasn't reptiles last week I think it was something else it was just <laughs> at like Wildlife or something. Oh, sounds pull the fast one on me. Sam's
2: pull the fast one. You, <laughs> made,
0: you made it more complicated <laughs> by remembering a previous fact wrongly.
1: Ooh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the Madagascar fact was it had the most amount of species only found in Madagascar. Whereas Mexico has the world's uh, has the most reptile species in the world housing over 700 reptile species and also interestingly it has the second most mammal species in the world over 430. so that was for me an interesting fact because i wouldn't have put mexico as uh, as a country with those uh, with those numbers
1: not but, something yeah. that I've ever heard of, really. So that's, that is an interesting one. No.
0: So I'm s- sorry, but it's a bit of, bit of a whitewash this week. Mike uh, did well. Um, we've always got well, next week. Me. Always got next week.
1: There's always next week.
2: In the youth spotlight this week, Jasmine Harrison has become the youngest woman to row across the Atlantic Ocean. Twenty one year old, who's a teacher, took just over 70 days to row from the Canary Islands, which is uh, an island off the coast of Africa, uh, all the way to the United States, to the, the edge of America. It's 3,000 miles is the journey and uh, Jasmine took place in a competition called the Atlantic Campaign where most rowers do this in teams, but Jasmine did it solo Um, and every day for 70 days Jasmine would row for about 12 hours pushing this 250 kilo, which is quite light uh, for a boat. Um, across the ocean and she would do around 60 miles a day that's about 97 kilometres she had a phone with her that allowed her to talk to family and friends uh, and she did have some music she did have a speaker with which she listened to music but sadly she, that fell into the water one day oh, so man. she couldn't listen to her music she did have other company along the way. She saw lots of sea life, including several whales and dolphins. Um, And there was danger too. Twice in the trip, her boat was overturned in in the night by uh, huge Atlantic waves. Um, And Jasmine did all of this uh, for charity. She raised $25,000 for two different charities, one which uh, works to control overfishing and another one which uh, helps people who suffered from natural disaster. So uh, well done, Jasmine.
1: 70 days by yourself. That's a good way to read some books, get some audio books. I think if I had
0: the skills to sail like that, I think I can imagine actually being quite enjoyable like you're always busy because you've got to do stuff but i don't know there's something quite i think it's a real balance isn't it oh i don't know I, I there's something quite appealing about that uh that sounds amazing well done jasmine good work
1: okay so this week on life skills i had my very first ukulele lesson which is quite a hard word to spell actually uh with um, a musician called sarah so this is actually something that I wanted to do for a really long time. And the first time I realized that I wanted to do it was actually at summer camp. I think we had a, a, a lovely guy come and work for the summer camp that, that summer, and he brought a ukulele with him and we all loved it. You know, we do a lot of campfires and it's always so much fun and it's because it's small, it's just kind of easier. And then, um, Sam kindly bought, I think eight ukuleles. So we just started doing ukulele lessons with the kids. Um, so, I've finally um, bitten the billet and bought this lovely blue ukulele so if you're watching this you can see it and if not it's simply just a, a very small looking blue guitar um, and I had my first lesson with um, Sarah so Sarah um, as well as being a drama and dance teacher she's also a musician and she actually in her current job went to Juilliard um, to do her training for her her current job and that's people probably know what Juilliard is, but it's the world leader in performing arts education, which focuses on exploratory learning. And that is actually where we started. So she asked me when I first held the ukulele to just kind of explore it. I felt like a bit like Ed Sheeran at some points, cause I was like banging the back of it and banging the front of it like Ed Sheeran does. Um, so that's the kind of first thing we did. Um, and then we tried to tune it, which, um, was proved a little bit tricky actually. Um, she showed me this um, this web page where you can basically play the notes on the ukulele and it'll tell you whether the note is correct. So we went through that process. Um, top tip number one for playing the ukulele is when you first buy a ukulele, it goes out of tune all the time. So you have to continually tune it, which is actually probably good practice because then you can actually start to tune it by ear which I can't imagine is something I'll ever do, but apparently Sarah tells me I, I will be able to do it. Um, so the strings are G-C-E-A, and we tried to make up an acronym for this. We came up with good children eat avocados or avos, but if you if you wanna come up with a, a different one, you're, you're welcome to. Um, and then we learned a couple of chords. Um, so I learned C, which I'll play for you now, oh yeah tip number two was to get into a comfortable position which i'm not really doing now i'm kind of holding it really high but you're just going to get comfy with it so c sounds all right and then i think this is uh f could sound worse and my homework is to try and um play a g so i've got to go back to her in a week's time and play play a g uh, she also gave me another couple of top tips um careful how you place your fingers on the strings so you don't kind of interfere with other um strings i think if if you're a a, a young person learning the ukulele it's good because you've got smaller fingers you can move your move your way around the the small instrument um and another top tip was only play for about 30 minutes a day to kind of allow your fingers to get used to the feeling cuz it, it will be a bit sore at first and you don't want to kind of know the next day wake up be really excited to play the ukulele but your fingers are really sore so yes i've i loved i loved uh, my first ukulele lesson i'm really excited to learn more and hopefully sarah can um continue to give me wee wee short lessons and 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 yeah just uh excited to learn something new and you know i actually have this tangible thing now so i've got to got to learn so i know mike and sam mike you play the the guitar and i know sam's a a bit of a, a pianist
2: what would be your first song, Jules, that you want to learn?
1: Well, actually, Sarah said that when I when I'm able to play G, um, we'll be able to do um, a woomba wa a woomba wa a woomba from the Jungle Book in the jungle. So she actually played it, and I played the two chords that I knew, and she sang, and then she kind of finished it off. So I'm working up to uh, in the jungle. Is that what it's, the song's called? Yeah. yeah that's yeah. my um. That's my first um. Milestone. Milestone, thank you, Mike. Yeah. yeah. I think we can have, can we not have a little bit of a a, a jam? Maybe. I would love a jam.
0: I, I've got a, some bells. Maybe Mike can do I got, some. I, you got,
2: got I got a guitar.
1: Oh, fab. Ooh. Can we try in the jungle? Do, do you know how it goes, yeah, Mike?
2: You can do the G. Unfortunately, it's a different chord, so it's. Ah,
1: oh, of course, because it's different. In yeah. the jungle,
2: the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. In the jungle, the peaceful jungle, the lion sleeps tonight.
1: All together now, oh, weeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee! Wee- 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 wee-
2: On the Language Corner this week, I'm going to give you some fact bombs, some fact bombs about words related to books. So, I think most of you will enjoy reading, but there will be some people who really don't enjoy reading. And there's a term for this in the English language. A book scorpion. Is someone who is hostile to books or learning in general. <laughs> the f- The phrase "book scorpion" was first recorded in 1649 in a work by a poet called Andrew Marvel, and the book scorpion is actually the name of a of an arachnid species, so species that's similar to the spider, uh, that's often found in old bookcases. That's why they call book. Uh, That's why they call it a book scorpion. But on the other side of the fence, the fear of running out of something to read is called as a word for this, the fear of running out of something to read. It's called abibliophobia, abibliophobia. Japanese have a word that describes buying a whole load of books and then not getting around to reading them. They have a word called tsondoko which describes that condition. Meanwhile, bibliosme, biblosimia even, is the enjoyment of the smell of old books. The musty smell of an old book. There's a word for that. And last, but not least, the Norwegian translation of the Mr Men book, Mr Bump, is called Her Dummy Dump. and that's it on the language corner this week enjoy world book day great
0: so the spelling bee this week we have we're going to take some words maybe some made-up words here from world book week world book day we are going to delve into some famous children's books and we're going to take some the first word Ooh, excuse me i think i mentioned it earlier and you have to spell it the way that roald dahl spelt it is the famous drink frobscottle
1: <clears throat> F-R-O- frobscottle f r
0: scottle scottle
1: what <laughs> am <more> taking the out <laughs> the way I speak No, I'm literally trying to just read your lips and hear what We're you're saying Bob Scuttle.